Hey everyone, welcome back to The Reluctant Cruise, a One Piece rewatch podcast. I'm one of your hosts, my name is Brian, and with me, as is often the case, is Steve. So, which bunny would Lolo Bunny choose? The Trix Bunny or the Nesquik Bunny? That's a real question right there. God damn it. Why? Wait, do you already have an answer in mind or are you asking us that? No, I was just posing the question, you know, just kind of throwing it out there. Like, you have one that's like a nut job and the other one's like drinking strawberry milk all day. <laughs> and also with us to talk about his love of strawberry Nesquik is Slash. Uh, I actually wanted to call attention to the fact that in the time since we last recorded, the uh, manga and anime industry has lost giant among men in kentaro miura um, and we're actually going to spend this entire episode talking about berserk so i hope you all came ready with the various anime no i'm just kidding actually though rest in peace kentaro miura uh everyone go read berserk but also read one piece strawberry nesquik is good wait wasn't that manga still going though i think technically yes. i'm not as well versed in berserk as i'm reading it most things again. Actually, I'm not as well-versed in most manga and anime as I should be. To answer Steve's question, well, sorry, go ahead. That's actually where I was going to go with that. Who would Lola Bunny pick? Oh, that question. Does the Nesquik Bunny have... Wait, oh, what are you going to say? I say yes, Berserk is still gone. You, you answer what you were going to say. I'll say what I'll say. No, talk, talk about which furry gets who first. Does Nesquik Bunny have like an endless supply of Nesquik? Yeah, but then the Tricks Bunny has an endless supply of tricks. Patently false. You don't understand the point of those commercials. Well, just because he's not, it's not for him doesn't mean he's, he doesn't have it. Hmm. Tricks are for kids, Steve. He never gets the cereal. They don't let him. So. If he had, if he was with Lolo Bunny, he doesn't he'd get have anything. A lot of kids Second thought, because they're rabbits and they fuck. Oh, it got weird. It got even weirder than already was. Um, the Tricks Bunny doesn't bring anything besides his dick, I guess. At least Nesquik Bunny has Nesquik, so my money's on Nesquik. I'm going with the Tricks Bunny. You know, maybe LeBron can answer this question, seeing as I think the Lakers are about to get knocked out of the playoffs, unfortunately. Better for him to prepare for a Space Jam premiere. I guess to answer Steve's question to me, yes. Berserk, very famous manga. The presentation, aesthetic, good story bits, good characters for the most part. Lots of good stuff in there. Uh, very influential. Uh, Berserk also is quite famous for, unfortunately, being on hiatus. A lot to dig into with that, and maybe that's more talk for another time. Uh, some people often joke and make comparisons as far as One Piece is still going. People know that the manga industry can be kind of brutal in Japan, so people often ask the question, well, you know, what if, what if they don't make it to the end? What if it never ends? Whether it's something that's on a good schedule or something that's on hiatus, you know, that's, that's often... Tough question. You know, some people say it in jest, but it's a, it's a hard one. Um, unfortunately, Miura uh, had to take many breaks. He uh, chugged, plugged out. Is that the right way to say it? 
either way, he he wrote out a lot of Berserk much earlier on and started to take breaks later into its production up to more recently. And then it was a joke for a long time that Guts, the main character, was stuck on a boat. Um, not long ago, he actually did, the author actually came out and started to make some new chapters. So Guts got off the boat. But unfortunately, the author's health had been declining for a while, and it was announced a couple weeks ago that actually in the beginning of May, I think it was, that he passed. That is an unfortunate loss. Go read Berserk. Um, I think I saw it summed up best. that It's not just a story about a guy with a big sword. Like This is the guy with the big sword. Like, there's that wasn't this is this is the blueprint so it's just to kind of put a thumbtack in that but anyway one piece has guys with lots of swords and a guy with a big sword that we've seen before so there you go bring it back around i can't think of anything else actually i do have something so something I learned recently which is fucking baffling to me i knew that japanese seiyu recorded all together, kind of like how Western animation, what we refer to as original animation, record all at the same time. And anime dubbing and games here are usually asynchronous. What I didn't realize was that Japanese casts, beyond just everyone recording together, they kind of just have like three mics in a studio and they all just... So they have the mic set at various heights, like short, average, tall. Everyone just slowly backs away. Actually, not even really slowly. Very quickly, as quietly as possible, back away from the mic. And everyone just fucking round robins that shit in a single recording. And that blew my fucking mind. Especially with shit like... uh... I can't remember the last thing that happened that we covered with a huge amount of people on screen, so I can only imagine... It's probably Whiskey Peak, where they had all those various people. So just imagine that, and people just like scurrying back and forth from each mic to deliver the line before sneaking back away again and shit like that. So that's wild. Yeah, one Piece. Take it away, Slash. Great. I was going to go first. Okay. Um, so we left off last time. We're still... Little Garden, and this is episode 76. I have the name on my phone because I am silly and did not write it down. Give me one second, but I believe it was, uh, as translated, Time to Fight Back, Usopp's Quick Thinking, and Firestar. Uh, So this episode kind of conveniently starts with a little recap, which is nice because it's been a week or two since we recorded. Uh, But we get a quick reminder of our time here since Little Garden's about to wrap up. They arrive. They discover there's dinos, they meet the giants, all the trickery goes on because of Baroque Works. Boom, we're finding Baroque Works, everyone's turning into candles out of Bed Bath & Beyond, and uh, Luffy is now sitting down to have tea with this golden wig because he got some art drawn on his back. Anyway, Usopp notices this immediately as he's starting to criticize Luffy for being lazy and sitting down and having tea. But yeah, he sees this crazy green marker on the back sure he's like ah oh, what the heck is this so he takes a star out puts it in his little slingshot and shoots it off and i think the 
Booster 5 is kind of looking out at him at the same time and also takes a pistol out of his pocket, cocks it with a bunch of weird breaths and bullets that he throws in, and then shoots away at Usopp. But Usopp still gets to fire the star at Luffy, and then instead the star hits him, whereas Mr. Five starts to criticize him. He's like, what? You hit your friend, you idiot. And uh, I believe Miss Valentine is also laughing and saying the same thing. But Luffy starts to roll over and finally gets up. And now his shirt is off, so he's just walking around in nothing but uh, shorts and sandals. He's at the beach but uh, on his hat, of course. But uh, they finally realize that Luffy's also um, done being controlled by this golden week because now the drawing is no longer on him. So Usopp was kind of using his noggin on that one. Luffy wakes back up, comes to his senses, and he's like, no, fuck this. No one's going to die on my watch. We're going gonna, gonna to save everyone. Uh, meanwhile, uh, we finally cut over to Sanji, and he is at the boat. He has finally returned after being MIA for the last episode of his screen time. And he comes back. He's got his big old dino. And he's like, where did everybody go? What am I missing? That's, that's going to be the bit with Sanji for the duration of this. Um, Doctor kind of debating what to do. He's like, well, guess I'll go look for everyone. And he's riding a random tiger that he seems to have punched in the head to kind of tame it. And he eventually comes upon the wax house that uh, Mr. Three and Co. from uh, Baroque Works were hiding in. Uh, eventually, we cut back to Luffy, and he's uh, generally convinced that even though Everyone is encased in wax, and the situation seems hopeless. He's like, nah, I can still save everyone. I'm just going to kick ass and win this fight. Uh, but as that's going on, Mr. Three uh, is annoyed that Luffy has now come to his senses. Starts to make this weird wax-looking armor around his entire person. It almost makes what is like a very comical-looking mech suit for himself. But it's, it's, it's wax. It's, it's nothing. But he calls it his candle champion form. And all the Baroque Works friends are like, oh, man, yeah, he took down some of, uh, I believe they said, like, a 40 million, uh, 40 million Barry Bounty. They're like, oh, shit. Uh, you better watch out for him. And Luffy even thinks that the armor looks cool. Uh, and I wanted to put a thumbtack in that because the way he does it is this thing where Luffy just really likes robots and other, like, mech future-looking things that we'll get little hints at later in the series. And that's just like, it, it, it's just his weird, I don't know if it's like an inner child thing or just like Luffy likes robot things. So keep that in mind for later. But um, as that's happening, uh, Miss Golden Week also takes time to paint the, uh, the candle wax armor. So he actually does look like he's walking around in a mech suit, not just like a big white candle sculpture with a head sticking out of it. Um, so he starts to go out with Luffy, and Luffy's attacks just don't go through. While that's happening, uh, Usopp's looking around, and he's starting to notice that he's coughing from the wax as well. He notices that the, the, uh, the candle, I guess, candle set is still spinning. So uh, he starts to get an idea in his head, though. He's like, wait, this is still just wax, even though this guy's using a lot of it. Uh, so he starts to think that maybe he can melt it, but then... Uh, as this is happening, even Miss Golden Week in the background kind of joking confirms, yeah, no, it's just wax. And Mr. Three is just really shocked. He's like, why would you just tell him that? 
but yeah, the wax is just wax. And as long as their friends' hearts don't stop inside it, you know, they can still breathe or get air to them at that point, then they should be able to be saved. So Usopp, speaking quickly with his bag of tricks, uh, he start, tries to start his own fire. Um, but he gets shot down by Mr. Five with his weird wind bullets. And also, Usopp then gets cornered by Miss Valentine, and she just starts to crush him with her crazy gravity powers. Um, or weight powers, I guess, not gravity. Big difference. Uh, but yeah, Luffy, still fighting Mr. Three. Uh, instead, it's like, Usopp, you know what? I got fire over here. Let's try and melt it. And he just grabs Mr. Three's giant three hair style that it's also able to just be set on fire because I guess that's how he melts the wax. But it's also supposed to be like he's a candle, question mark. Uh, regardless, uh, he grabs the hair and then starts yanking him over to where Usopp is. And then, luckily, even though Usopp is being pursued, uh, he has he tried to have Karu the duck uh, run some rope around uh, the whole candle set. And also, at the end of it all, even though he keeps getting pursued, um, he reveals to uh, Mr. Five and uh, Miss Valentine that the rope is actually doused uh, in flammable liquid, kind of like Home Alone 2 style near the end of the movie, where he drops the rope off the side of the building and starts to burn it. Uh, or I guess does that from the bottom floor, but I don't want to mix things up. Regardless, Usopp this whole great setup for that and then luffy finally gets the uh the flame on top of mr three's head to touch it and boom the whole jungle just blows up at least the area where they are uh, that's where it cuts the commercial break but after that when we come back the entire candle set is all encased in flames and everything is starting to melt uh even mr three's armor starts melting he kind of just takes a big l from that he runs away but the set is still moving uh, well, that's the case, though. Usopp is still about to get beat up, and Miss Valentine keeps increasing her weight, but Nami and Vivi finally come out, and they save Usopp. Uh, and then lastly, he shoots uh, a star into the mouth of Mr. Five, and at the same time, Mr. Five's like, oh, man, didn't I tell you this already? You can't shoot bullets and things at me. I'm just going to eat them. So I make them out of my boogers. I just make things explode. But Instead of it actually being a bullet, it was the hot Tabasco star from several episodes ago that I think Luffy accidentally ate. I can't remember if that was in a canon or filler episode, but regardless, that finally came in handy. Mr. Five is just like, oh shit, I wasn't expecting this, and his mouth is just on fire. Uh, he does manage to almost get Usopp, but Zoro finally wakes up as well and just dashes out and does a really cool attack where his swords are set on fire, so that's always fun. Uh, and slowly but surely, everyone's waking up. Broggy the Giant finally wakes up. But uh, the members they were fighting there are defeated while Mr. Three and I think Miss Golden Week are running off into the forest. So that happens. You cut to Luffy and Karu who are chasing them down. And all of a sudden, Mr. Three, or what looks to be like many of him, are just chilling in a giant enclave in the forest. And he's like, oh, what's this? Mr. Three is says to him, oh, you've been caught in my wax manner. And there are just suddenly lots of copies of him everywhere. And he keeps going on about, oh, my team is the most intellectual team in all of Baroque works. We've got big brain IQs and you can't stop us and all this nonsense. And Luffy's just trying to stay calm and look around in this strange forest opening. And he 
by main character's luck, takes one big stamp in the face to the one that's directly in the middle of him and actually ends up hitting the right Mr. Three. And when he asks him, oh, how'd you figure it out? He just gives a really main character, eh, I just had a hunch response. So as goofy as it is, at least they don't have to have the fight drag out too much longer after that. Uh, but then Karu also notices Miss Golden Week running off in the background. He goes off to peck at her. Anyways, as the fight's starting to wrap up, we finally cut back to Sanji one more time. And he is just chilling in the house of wax that is Mr. Three's. He is also finally enjoying tea time. He's talking about how Earl Grey is great in the afternoon. But the illusion breaks and he's like, wait a second. It's not tea time. I've got to go find everyone. I wonder where they could be. But then all of a sudden, he sees a box. Or I forget if it's in a box or if it's just straight on the table. Regardless, he hears a phone ringing. And not only is it a transponder snail, but it is Mr. Three's phone. And I don't know if we've seen this yet, but certain snail phones, transponder snails, for characters that have unique looks tend to also have snails that are designed after them. So you get a snail that's got like a weird wavy mustache and its color palette kind of matches the way that Mr. Three is dressed. And I always thought that was cool because that keeps happening for characters in the future. I think we might have seen a few so far, but as we meet more unique people, we will definitely see more unique snail phones. But anyway, Sanji's just chilling in the house, but he sees the, hears the phone ring. And then he does something that I'll talk about in a bit. But he picks it up and he's like, yo, you got the damn shitty restaurant. Need a reservation or something? What's good? And on the end of the line, the voice just says, stop fooling around. Are you done with your report? It's me, Mr. Zero. And then that's where we cut to take a beat. Continue. What'd y'all think? That was kind of a long one, but we wrapped up a lot. Honestly, I love Will Garden. Probably one of the best. Well, the whole arc of Alabasta is a really good arc, in my opinion. Just first straight out of the out of the cuts, basically. You have Little Garden, one of those great memorable things. You have the Giants of Elbath, and it really sets the scene for like, oh well. What is Elbath? Will we ever go there? Let's see if we ever venture off to Elbath. Maybe learn more about uh, Groggy and... Or wait. Brogy and Dory. Yeah, Brogy and Dory. Yeah. And it just sets up this good scene for some action and some clashes between these Baroque works people and the Straw Hat Pirates. And so... Honestly, a great end to a great piece of a great arc. Yeah, and there's a lot of greats. <laughs> what a great one piece. Okay, show's over. Right. <laughs> no, but yeah, so I do know that there was other stuff that I was going to say, but I like that when... Mr. Three pulled his multi-shadow clone no jutsu. It's the reverse of episode one in Naruto. And Luffy somehow manages to, like, win. That was pretty good. And it's just... 
Theree's giving a long-winded speech about how fucking smart he is, and Luffy just takes him out like nothing. Here's something I wanted to mention. BV came out of the fire mostly fine. Nami came out with just her bra and her shorts, which might have been part of the reason why they didn't want to put this on American TV. Granted, they have definitely censored stuff before before they could have easily like slapped a shirt on there or something but that might have been part of the censorship i guess the next part will definitely be what happens with sanji in the house in the next episode but yeah it's a good episode originally when i was thinking about this i was gonna say it feels like a bit of an anticlimax because luffy just knocks three out in one hit but then i remembered all the fucking action that's packed into the rest of the episode beforehand and yeah, there's actually a bunch of shit going on in this episode. It is a yeah, very also... good episode. Oh, go ahead, sorry. Usopp kind of unintentionally broke the meta a little bit when he started talking about like so in Shonen Battle anime and manga, people are always yelling the names of their attacks and shit. So he just yells exploding star. And Mr. Five goes, okay, yeah, I'm going to eat it like the last time. But Usopp's like, yeah, I'm a fucking liar. Why would you believe me? I like how that kind of just subverts that normal yelling our attacks. And like, you really think we're going to yell our attacks so you can know what it is? Uh, yeah, I think that's everything I had for the episode. I think part of the reason why it's just like a, I guess false end to the fight almost so it kind of a down crawl instead of a big climax to finish it's like i think mr three i mean no spoilers but i mean obviously he didn't die on screen but i think we see him later in the arc i'm trying to remember if i'm thinking of it correctly but regardless uh yeah no i think it's still it closes out this little section like we don't it doesn't out it doesn't stay its welcome out for too long it keeps us moving towards uh the progress of getting to alabasta but yeah, no, I, just a lot's happening. As I was reading, I was like, geez, stuff is going on. I mean, I took notes for it, but I, I thought the episode went by fast, but like getting each little detail of what happened, is, is, there's a lot going into, there's a lot put into a little space, I guess, but I think they balance it well with a lot of these canon episodes of Alabaster. And then, yeah, so the thing I keep mentioning is when uh, Sanji an answers the phone, he's like, yeah, it's a damn shitty restaurant. What's your reservation? You know, or you, you just... Every, every time he would do that, or I watched that episode once or twice back in the day, but from that point forward, whenever I had food jobs, I never actually did it, but I was always very tempted to actually just answer the phone if someone was calling. It was like, yo, you got the shitty restaurant, what's good, you need a reservation? Like, it's just his his mindset, where it's like, I know he was kind of, he. I don't think he was so much referring to the Barati, I think he was more just um, like kind of making fun of the fact that he was out in the middle of nowhere picking up a phone. Um, but at the same time, well, we're getting to the next episode a little more, but, uh, as we can see so far, Mr. Zero is just like, oh, hey, and Sanji doesn't really tip him off at all. But at the same time, why, why would Mr. Three, this weirdo kind of like eclectic guy who's really obsessed with his art and such suddenly bring up a restaurant? Like he was answering it almost like in jest. I don't know. Don't think about it too hard. By the way, yeah, it's a good good episode with with uh, a lot going on.
Okay, so I'm going to take it away with episode 77. Farewell, Giant Island. Head for Alabasta. After the end of the battle from last episode, we zoom in on Bragi, who is crying a rainbow into existence. And this waterfall of tears that is coming out of his eyes is making the straw hats start to like fear the thought of drowning. This is going on for like another five to ten seconds, and we see the movement of some giant fingers. And we are treated to a giant's Oda face from Bragi when we see that Dory is still alive. I did not expect that personally. I kind of assumed he was fucking dead, but enough with that. We cut to Sanji, who is talking to Mr. Zero over the phone. And as he's having this conversation, he's starting to piece together stuff that he had heard in the past. I'm assuming from the point where he woke up on the ship after Whiskey Peak. So I think that's like a week, maybe. So he starts to remember that, okay, Mr. Zero is in charge of Brokeworks, which means that he's also one of the Shichibukai, so one of the Seven Warlords. Crocodile asks again for Three's mission update and whether or not he killed Vivi and the Straw Hats. So Sanji decides, okay, well, I guess I'm just going to lie. So he says, yeah, no, I totally killed all of them. Every target's gone. Everything is good. And then Crocodile says that he's going to send the Unluckies to Little Garden, and they'll have an eternal pose with them, one that is set for Alabasta. So as soon as Sanji hears this, he looks out the window to see a little otter and a vulture with a pair. They both have pairs of sunglasses and weapons getting ready to kill him. Sanji turns him into a bloody, bloody mess because the otter comes clawing with him like a clamshell with spikes on each little half of the shell to use like claw weapons. And the vulture has, I can't remember her name, I think it's Mer eh. Miss Friday is her code name, I believe. So she's just like shooting like a little submachine gun off of her back or something. Sanji kicks the otter into the wall. There's a big bump on his head. So at the time that I first saw that, I was like, oh, wow, he knocked out the little creature. But then he also gets in close to Miss Friday and snaps the bird's fucking neck. And I was like, oh, fuck, he's like killing these animals. And you cut back to Mr. 13 again, and you see that he's, uh, there's a lot of blood smeared into that imprint in the wall that he left. And it's like, oh, Sanji is actually murdering these fucking animals, man. So he gets done with that. And I'm pretty sure that this is the main reason why they, obviously there's the rest of the excessive violence in this entire arc. But to have one of your, protagonists brutally murder animals. I think that's probably why they decided, okay, we're not gonna we're not gonna show this to American children. So he gets back on the snail phone with Crocodile and he says, Oh, you know, that 
don't worry about anything. That noise you just heard is just uh, me finishing off the straw hat. He was actually still alive, and Crocodile's like, but you said he was already dead. And Sanji's like, yeah, I thought he was at the time. So what you're saying is that you lied to me. Sanji's like, I guess you could say that. And Crocodile says, take the eternal pose and head directly to Alabasta. I think it's starting to get blurred in my head a little bit when I watch this. I can't remember if Crocodile gives this order first or if it goes to the Giants. But Crocodile gets Miss All Sunday and puts a hit out on Mr. Three, saying he can't make it Alabasta. So he sends out Mr. Two to go assassinate him. So we cut to Dory, who is explaining the belief that after fighting for a century, the weapons that the giants have have become dull, which is why he only blacked out instead of dying from being hit. Usopp's like, oh, even if they're made by the mighty warriors of Elbath after a hundred years of fighting, even these mighty weapons would have been worn down. And the giants started to get slap happy, like, hey, you don't have to hug me so tightly, punch. Slap on a wound. And Nami's like, I can't believe you guys are already starting to fight again. At this point, Sanji wanders out of the forest and he greets the rest of the crew. Usopp and Karu and Luffy are just pissed, like, oh, now he shows up after all the fighting is done. But he tells everyone about his conversation with Crocodile. He says, yeah, I told them that all of us are dead, so we're definitely going to be out of here safe and sound. And Usopp says, well, now that we're free from being targeted, I guess now all we have to do is wait here an entire year. Like, that's terrible luck. And that is when Sanji says, oh man, I can't believe we still have stuff to do on this island. I went to all this trouble of getting this Eternal pose. And everyone is starting to cheer and everyone's ready to go. So they make their way back to the ship. But as that is happening, the giants look at each other and say, well, these weapons have been good to us for a very long time. But for these new friends of ours, We've got to give what's left of these weapons. Which is kind of unnerving, I guess. And we get to the ship. Sanji and Zoro are having one last argument about which dinosaur was uh, the better kill. Zoro keeps referring to his as a rhino, and Sanji's T-Rex is just a giant lizard, which I guess is technically true. They're going back and forth like, yours doesn't even have horns, until Nami just screams at them, and they start to butcher what they can to carry onto the ship, and they set sail. Luffy's like, couldn't you have brought some more? And as they're sailing, I believe they said west from the island, they start to reach the edge, and you see the open sea, and Dory and Brogg are just standing there at the edge of the island, staring forward out at sea. 
and they ominously command the Straw Hats to sail straight no matter what, which, again, all very ominous. And you see it. Suddenly, out of the depths, a giant, monstrous goldfish. And it appears so that it can swallow the Mary. The giants call this the Island Eater. And they talk about how it just consumes and consumes stuff. And they even talk about how... It's weird that they mention this, but they say that... Basically, they're saying that even its shits are giant and monstrous. They reveal that the island that Miss All Sunday had been trying to send them to, the no-name-whatsoever place or whatever the fuck, was apparently not a real island, but just a massive pile of goldfish shit that they had been to before. So, yeah, that is weird. Apparently, this goldfish eats enough to shit out an island. And now it is eating the Mary. And everyone is like, why are we still listening to these giants? Usopp's crying, just saying, sail straight. Even once they're already inside the goldfish, and Nami's like, there's no use in trying to change anything. We're already inside. And everyone's kind of like, oh, I guess we're dying inside another giant sea creature. But the Giants get together, I don't know how to describe it, not really chanting, but like summoning an invocation, I guess. And while they're talking, their weapons charge with some sort of energy, blue and red. And it gathers along until they sling that energy out at the island eater. And this energy wave just bursts a hole through the giant fish. And the resulting shock wave also happens to push the Mary along out at sea. And that is where the episode ends. What do you guys think? It's good. Uh, I think it's a nice way to end the whole little garden segment. Um, I think it's cool that we see a little bit of a... Wait, question really quick. Was it the beginning of the next episode or is it the end of this episode where they like give the little history about what happened with the giants, actually? That's the next episode. But regardless, uh, it's... Cool to see like a little cap on just about everything there. Um, no, not too much else to it, but yeah, no, definitely Sanji just blowing up all the animals in the house. There could be a reason why. I think it's just a lot of edge jokes in here, little things as to why Little Garden kind of got cut out of the four kids dub. Weirdly enough, um, yeah, I don't know. It, it's just it's interesting to look back on. But it's also just kind of a shame because they're like this arc kind of just shows that they at least were making a good time of or at least having a good time packing all these moments into what amounts to like 10 or less episodes, I think, since we've been talking about Little Garden. So that's kind of neat. Um, but yeah, not, not too much else to say about this one. Just a good, good cap off to this little segment. Yeah, honestly, it, it brings about some things that are really brought into perspective how Dory and Brogi have kind of stopped fighting now and they've just kind of accepted things. This competition is, I would say, gone by the wayside. They're still very competitive and still kind of compete. However, 
is solidified. We've gotten rid of the broke works off this island. The giants are happy. No one's coming out for their head. Not that we know of. And things are just happy again. We're about to set sail. We got a new log post. So we're going to head straight to Alabasta now. No stops now. We're going to go straight there. We're going to get Vivi home. And yeah, we had a little run in with this island eater fish. But that's all right. Things look bright because we got Dorian Brogy on our side. It's kind of, I like that way that they're like, oh, yeah, we got the giants on our side. Because I don't want to say this, but because it's probably going to be false in some case. But every side that has a giant on it always ends up winning. Except for like the one I can think about is like Jack and the Beast. Steve, I know that's not true. I, I know it's not true, but you know what? Then please tell me what's an instance that's not true. A character's backstory later on in this series. Okay. How about any other instances just in general? I'm looking up a factoid, which could make for a good bit, but I'm, I'm, give me like one second. Are we just talking about giants in general? Yeah, just giants in general. Like, when have they not been on the good side? Yes, New York, since 2012. Got them. The Gigantomachia. Oh, yeah. <laughs> what was that, Opera? The Gigantomachia. The war between the Olympians and the giants. What series is that from? It happened after the... Uh, Greek mythology. Oh. That show sucks. Also, the Percy Jackson series. Greek mythology. Or the sequel series, was it? Uh, Blood? No, Heroes of Olympus. But you have to admit, the Titans were kind of just dicks anyways, so they got taken over by the kids anyways, so. No, the, the Gigantomachia is fighting the giants. That's after the Titanmachia. I don't know who you're talking about. Anyways, another point in Steve being clueless to shit. So, but yeah, great episode. Love How the about giants. Norse mythology. Ah, the frost giants always get fucked by the Asgardians. Yeah, but you know what? Which giants don't get fucked? Brogi and Dory, because they came out as winners. Yeah. Which is a good segue into the next episode. Take it away, Steve. I will. Exactly. Episode 78. Nami sick. Beyond the snow falling on the sea. Here we are. Leaving Little Garden. We're on our way out. The aftermath of this joint attack on a giant goldfish, the island eater. Uh, Brogy and Dory's weapons just break. They're just that old and unsharp, and they put a lot, a lot of power behind it, and they end up breaking. And so then they kind of start laughing off in, in valor as well, as they're kind of very prideful and taking the moment, just how happy they are. And we get this flashback to the the days of old, Brogy and Doherty 
were much, much younger. And they were co-captains of this crew of giants. Did they say that they were giant pirates? Yes. Yes, are, okay. It's like, it's not, I think their name is the giant pirates, but I mean, they're also giant pirates. Yeah. In any case, they were pirates. So we see firsthand how this duel between Brogi and Dori kind of came about. It started from their kind of duel. How would I say? A competition. A hunting competition at that. Where they would go out and find the biggest prey or catch and compare it in size. However, this kind of all stemmed from when each of them had killed a sea king, or they both killed a sea king. Can't remember exactly what it is. Was it both of them had each killed a sea king? I think, yeah, both of them did. Okay, yeah. So after both of them had killed a sea king, those things are huge, even compared to giants. They started asking this little girl, oh, who's bigger? Dory would say, well, mine's bigger. Brody would say, ah, no, it's not. Mine's bigger. And it became this huge shoving match. And eventually it did become a shoving match. And this long, long feud between Dory and Brody. So then we flash back to the present. And the giants make their way back inland. They're joking around, becoming... Reuniting his old friends once again. And we see Usopp as he's out on the open sea on the ship. He declares that one day he too will travel to Elbaf, the land of giants. So here we are. Crews out on their way, setting sail, heading to Alabasta. We kind of focus in on Nami. She's feeling pretty drained. She's... Not quite up to par for the course. Probably say around a double bogey in terms of golf. So Nami asks Vivi to watch the eternal pose while she gets some rest. He's like, hey Vivi, can you, can you watch this pose while I'm going to get some rest. I need some, I'm tired. I need some rest. So Vivi's like, okay, yeah. So Vivi our princess, begins to think about Igaram as he's telling her all these things and she's flashing back to earlier in our arc how she has to survive no matter what for the good of Alabasta, this huge weight being put on her shoulder. So Sanji brings Vivi and Nami food. Here you are, my princesses. Good, good food. We also see Zoro. He's training with these massive weights to get a stronger swing so he can easily attack his enemies much better and harder. He wants to avoid getting trapped by things like the giant candle service set that uh, Mr. Three so imposed. On another island, we hear the grunts of a Baroque's Works members. 
Scouts are rushing to prepare a ship for Mr. Two's departure. Mr. Two seems reluctant to undertake the mission. Riping and groaning the entire way, saying how worthless Mr. Three is. But he's reminded they're from Crocodile himself, Mr. Zero in the flesh. So he's, well, whatever, let's keep going. Let's keep going. And something I found kind of interesting is that he counted in French. He's like, un, de, He's like, well, I can't remember what number four is. I don't know if he also caught the name of his boat. It had something to do with a bird, specifically a swan. I thought that was kind of interesting too, because I was thinking, oh, a swan. And then he was like, I can't remember what four is in French, which is in how you pronounce it in. French is cat. And so it's like, oh, birds and cats. <laughs> That's kind of funny. But who knows what the swan might represent. We'll see what happens later on. Anyways, we pan back to Nam. And Nami just getting weaker, weaker. Eventually she tells Vivi that she's going to have to lie down. But all of a sudden, she faints right on the deck. The crew's shocked by it. They're in a panic almost. So they pick up Nami and take her to a bed and start to wonder what they can do to help her like oh what can we do to help you nami but yet again i can't help but reflect and say well we don't have a doctor tough shit and so it kind of goes about that time nami then is talking to vivi they're kind of talking a little more personal and nami's like the newspaper from yesterday i remember seeing something in it Go take a look. But actually, Nami's been hiding it from Vivi so as not to worry about her too much or have Vivi worry too much about it. And what's revealed is that 300,000 royal guards of the Alabasta army have defected to Alabastan rebels. She said earlier, oh yeah, before it was, it was a fine. It wasn't. It was a minor thing. It was six hundred thousand royal guards to four hundred thousand, or no, it was a million royal guards to four hundred thousand uh, rebels. It is not a million royal guards. Yeah, it was. Was it? Or was it six hundred thousand? No, it's a million, it's a million citizens. citizens. It's like six hundred thousand or something. Uh, like 600, 600 thought, to 400,000 rebels or something. Now it's 7, 3. Because well, then they could just easily... Either way, there are for fact, tens of not, thousands of people. It's a million citizens. There are two sides in conflict. Just normal people. Yeah, that's the main point. But anyways, there's this huge jump in the rebels, which pretty much means that war could break out at any time. And so Vivi's now on edge. And Nami gets up with saying, oh, yeah, I'm totally fine. I can do this. And she's pretending to be fine. Really, she's not fooling anyone. Except Luffy. She then walks outside away from the bed in the bedding area. 
And she sees that Zoro hasn't even been paying attention to the pose. And Nami's like, what are you doing? We're not even going on the right path. And he's like, yeah, we are. We're going on the right path. I've been following that cloud the entire time. I know we've been going on the right path. He's like, she's like, you dummy. Clouds reshape and take different sizes all the time. You can't trust clouds. Ugh. So Nami seems to get a sense of this shift. There's something going on in the weather. But no one else does. No one else is picking up anything. All having a grand, jolly old time. And Zoro is telling everyone to quickly change course to go towards the where the log pose is pointing. Towards Alabasta. And Vivi's begging the crew to move as quickly as they can towards Alabasta. And Nami's like, yeah, you get Vivi home as quickly as she can. Really praising an emphasis on time and trying to make haste. But then Vivi says that we better make our fastest journey to the nearest island to find a doctor for Nami. Nami's a little perplexed by that, like, what? We need to get to Alabasta as quick as we can. She's like, no, we need to get you a doctor first. And then afterwards, we'll make our fastest journey to Alabasta ever. And suddenly, this huge cyclone appears. And the ship would have been caught in it and really badly disturbed had they not listened to Nami. But Straw Hat Crew still has their navigator, Nami. She's very sick, very unwell. But yet she's still able to sense things in the weather. And she's able to guide them on the right path. But in any case, Nami goes back to bed to rest. While Sanji worries over her and Vivi. Because that's the only people he worries about. Just because they're women. So Zoro begins looking out, and he's looking out in the water. It's pretty rough seas. What's this he sees? But a man standing out on the water. Zoro asks, is it normal for this man to be standing out on the water? And everyone begins to start to look out as to who that is. Who is this person? We get a close-up. This man looks just like a jester. Who is this jester, you ask? Oh, well, I guess we'll find out. Because then, just then, we get a big old to be continued. Yeah. I think it's a couple things. Uh, for me, first, the closeout that more or less explains how... Thori and Brogy got to the island is always kind of nice. One Piece is pretty good about that. At least in the anime. I, I forget which bits of the manga since I've been reading give you like that little end closeout. Uh, but yeah, that was, that was nice. Um, also mildly ironic because at this point, I'm not sure if this was more of like a nod to things that would come later or he made it up as he went along sort of thing. But uh the way they kind of think, like, oh, the reason Dorian Brogy got caught was because that it was all the fault of that little girl. Um, 
this won't be the last time a, a, a young girl causes trouble for giants, but that will be much later as we find out a certain character's backstory later. But um, besides that, yeah, fun stuff. We see Mr. Two. Mr. Two is really hype. Um, his voice actor is also the voice actor for a much more prominent character that appears later, uh, which is really weird because Mr. Two is mildly reoccurring himself but i don't want to spoil too much regardless that's cool and uh yeah so kind of wrapping it all the way back around i forget what the plot point is in the four kids dub that pushes them towards where they are going right now this this snowy land we are approaching on with this weird jester man because in four kids dub we always like to point out while it still exists getting to where like the end of it was i think i think they went up the crocodile and that was it but uh you cut straight from whiskey peak to here and obviously right now this makes sense you saw nami got like a bug bite or whatever when we were on the island she had the little red dot and then she caught fever uh let's just say she caught little garden malaria or something like that um Instead of West Nile virus, little garden virus. There you go. I'll stop making plague jokes. But um, as the pandemic is still sort of fizzling out and it's still not doing great in some of the places in the world. But regardless, Nami's sick. And that is a perfect reason for them to have these conflicts of, well, should we hurry to Alabasta? But we need Nami to navigate. And we want you know, her to be healthy and well. So it's, it's it shows that you know there's a lot to think about for everyone on the crew. But it's a sensible call to action, I guess, to like keep things going forward. And it's like, oh, this thing we just did, it makes sense to went to some crazy island the way Vivi talked about. And like, yeah, you never know what you're going to find out there. You could just get sick. Um, very realistic outcome versus I don't remember what the call to action was because just leaving Whiskey Peak. Yeah, they meet uh, Miss, uh, Miss All Sunday there. But... Um, Beyond that, I don't remember how they had that had that shot and then just have them going into the snowy area with this guy. I guess that's how they did it. I don't know. We'll talk about that as we go forward more. Yeah, fun episode. If I remember correctly, I think what happened with four kids is that they just used Vivi's explanation where all of the weather just gets to people sometimes. I think she just got sick out of nowhere and four kids. I like that the start of this epic century-long duel was just, hey, who killed the bigger sea king? This little girl just, which one is bigger? And they're both like, oh, fuck, I guess we gotta go to a remote island and hunt dinosaurs for a hundred years until we finally settle this. A whole crew of fucking pirates made up of giants, huh? I see some head nods. This is good. Still haven't seen them. It's fucking wild. With the flashbacks to Vivi's past, I was gonna say childhood. I like how they kept Hammering, oh, you have to survive. Igram says something like, through something in betrayal, 
you have to survive for the good of the kingdom, which kind of goes back to her partnership with Brokeworks, I guess. Yeah, just... Uh, light, light cheese steel. She's pulling an Eddie Guerrero. Vivi is the token Mexican of One Piece. Hmm. I like how they set up... It seems like she's going to prioritize... Hey, heading directly for Alabasta. And it switches it up with, okay, that means we need a healthy Nami. Like some weird 80s PSA where we just stop and talk about the moral lesson. And yeah, it is good though. I wonder who we're going to run into. Surely, this means that they need a doctor. Wink. Also, maybe dudes whose power is eating shit. Who knows? Um, yeah. Do they ever explain Nami's intuition with the weather? I mean, yes, no. I think it's more just like a she's that good. But picking up the weather, I mean, weather just is a natural thing. Well, natural, supernatural. Weather just exists and happens, so a lot of it's just her predictions. There's explanations later, more or less. But it's not... I don't think it's ever anything given to like the same level of like birth lineage as say like all oh, the, the the giants being able to just shoot giant power beams from their swords because big power, which that's kind of probably explained later. Thinking of what I know now, like them doing that kind of has a mild explanation, but it's still like they're also giants and they're like big strong boys, so kind of an explanation for Nami. Cool. Yeah, that kind of answers my following question, which is going to be, what the fuck is up with the giants and their power? But yeah, I can assume what it is that lets them do it. But considering we're still not there, I'm going to pretend that I that I am 100% clueless when I'm only like 85% clueless. We'll meet more people that probably have you ask a similar question. But the questions do get explained later is the thing. So there you go. If there's nothing else, I think that that is it for us today. So Steve, what do you have to plug? Uh, let's see here. I have Twitter. I've been really taking kind of a, I don't say hiatus, but more of like putting social media on a back burner just because I'm working now. I have a job. I'm working 40 hours a week. So. Uh, it's kind of been taking up all my time, so I don't really have time to like scroll through Instagram or anything. So, but if you want to, you can follow my Twitter. It's at Steve, S-T-V-E, Horniak, H-O-R-N-Y-A-K. Um, probably not too much going on right now, but I might like or repost something. I usually like a lot of uh, One Piece posts so see for that what about you slash um yeah same for me twitter i think that's probably the only one i usually share these days it's just at rob link r-a-w-b-l-i-n-k but you can find me on most things but i'll usually spend a little bit of time on there just messing around uh just kind of enjoying my summer at this point but i'll definitely be a lot more busier in the fall when that comes out 
Regardless, uh, I haven't really been streaming too much lately either. Not for any bad reason. I'm kind of just chilling while I can. I'll probably stream a little more over summer when I have some energy, but no rush. Follow my Twitter if you want some 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 serious, some funnies. There you go. Okay, you can find me on most social media platforms with the handle at El Tubacabra. That is E-L-T-U-B-A-C-A-B-R-A. You can find the show on Twitter with the handle at Reluctant Cruise. You can find us on Instagram with the Reluctant Cruise podcast. And you can email us by sending it to reluctantcruise at gmail.com. That's it. I'm blanking on our sign-off. Have fun on the cruise. Let me think of something. Let me think of something real quick. Uh, Trying to think of some stupid shit I'm going to say at the beginning of this episode.